Greetings, everyone. This is your host, Josh, here. Happy to say that the Trans Natural Perspectives podcast is brought to us by listeners like you. If you find value in this show and you want to help it grow, please consider sharing this podcast, writing a review, and supporting the show. Head on over to transnaturalperspectives.com to learn more about how you can contribute as a monthly subscriber, as a one-time donor, as well as check out our blog. I invite you to contact me with any ideas you have for the show. If you'd like to be a guest, if you need a writer, or any other tips on further funding opportunities. I'd really love to hear from you. It keeps this show going, keeps me going. And with that being said, thanks for listening. We need to think about the inert language that we have. We have a lot of inert ideas. Every culture does. What are they? Be, be aware of them. The civilized virtues of cultures is, is an acknowledgement that there's a challenge to change. All right, everybody, we're back. 2021. That's right. Welcome back, everybody. This is 2021. This is your host, Josh Bennett, here live in Oslo, Norway, here on the Transnational Perspectives podcast. This is the show where we put nature in focus by sharing our perspectives on society and culture across environments and landscapes so you can start injecting more sustainable practices into your life from whatever your unique position may be right now, right, right today. That's right, everybody. It's 2021 first show of the year is it the start of a new year is it the continuation of a last i don't know we're going to talk about that on today's show and i mean who really needs years anyways the important part is that we are reflecting on what has happened and we're taking the good stuff with us maybe shaking off shake it off shaking off the old stuff we don't need and figuring out how we can build upon the foundation that we already have so we can just keep on keep on rolling towards that sustainable future. And that's really a bit about what we're going to talk about today on the show. I'm very happy to have once again on the show, Dr. Bob Henderson, all the way from Canada, back on the show again. And just to review, in case you don't know Bob, he is an outdoor educator, writer, speaker, and travel guide also the author of many great books on both Canadian outdoor recreation and Norwegian Freiruslev, as well as he been the professor of outdoor education for 29 years at McMaster University in Ontario, Canada. Bob was kind enough to join us today for a conversation on something that he brought up in our last conversation. And if you want to check that out, you can check out, I think it was episode two with Bob from back in 2020. And he brought up the topic or the, the phrase of ecological consciousness. So today we're going to talk about ecological consciousness. We're going to reflect a bit on what we've been observing in terms of ecological consciousness in the past year, predominantly related to COVID, of course, and what we're thinking about in the year to come. And I think that this is a really great exercise for us, you know, all to engage in. Of course, reflection, always a great exercise to engage in in our, you know, education and outdoor education, especially if we're reflecting on our interactions, you know, with students and the natural world. But of course, you know, 
from whatever angle you are approaching life from, whether you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, you're a stay-at-home parent, uh, a truck driver, you know, ask yourself, how, 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 how are my actions on a daily basis influencing or projecting my ecological consciousness? What's my perspective on my place in the ecology, my place in the environment, and how am I working towards a more sustainable future? And of course, I would, you know, I can't, I cannot fail to mention that this idea is also mentioned in this really great book that we talk about uh, a bit on this podcast, Wild Pedagogies, where right in the title of the book, if you haven't checked out the book, you should definitely check it out. It's a great little reader for especially for educators. And it asks you in the title to, you know, renegotiate education at this time in the Anthropocene. I'm paraphrasing right now. But, you know, education, I don't like it, especially on this podcast, I don't like to limit it just to teachers, you know, oh, a teacher in a classroom and not even, you know, education in its, you know, institutional sense, like alternative education, outdoor education, science education, whatever. This is all great stuff. And this is a lot of us listening are in this realm. But I also want to extend it out to just, you know, if you have influence over other people or other uh, things in the more than human world, let's say, you are have the possibility to educate and you might be educating and not even knowing you might be influencing. So, so think about it, no matter what you're doing, you know, how is this, how is this, how is this working for you and how is this working for a better world? I have to say too, you know, after listening to this episode, when editing and and checking the timestamps, I realized that this would actually be such a solid list of just episode titles for the year. So we're going to go through the episode and you can go through the episode timestamps at the at the bottom of the, the show notes here. And if any of these topics that we talk about today, if they appeal to your field of study or your research, or you would just like to have a rousing discussion about it with me on the podcast or if maybe bring a couple people, just give me give me a, give me a shout. You can always hit me up at uh, transnaturalpod at gmail.com. And you can also go uh, to our new website, transnaturalperspectives.com. And you can check out what we got going on there on the website. We've got a little bit of information about the show. You can access the podcast there. You can share it with other people as well as you can check out some of the writing that's going on. So some interesting new announcements coming out of the show here in 2021 that we have a writing component going on now where I'm doing more and more writing related to the topics on the show and trying to extend out in that way. So for people who'd like to read rather than listen, so you can check out the writing that we got on the show. And there's also a contact form on there. So you can contact me directly through the website as well as there's links to all of our social media and all of our other links to get in touch with us. So for example, you can hit us up on Twitter, you can hit us up on Facebook. And another new addition to the show is you can hit us up on Patreon or even PayPal. So this is a really great addition that I'm excited to bring to the table where now if you really like the work that we're doing here on the show, the work I'm doing here with my wonderful guests, you can become uh, a patron of the show, a monthly contributor through Patreon just for a few bucks a month or whatever you feel like donating really. You can contribute to the show so we can keep on doing wonderful work. And I plan on, you know, expanding the show this year, not just into writing, but also different types of shows 
it's not going to be all interviews all the time, but also maybe some more narrative type things. And I'll keep that under wraps for a little bit until that arrives. But yeah, I just want to keep expanding this show. And, and eventually once COVID is over, I'll also take it out into the field. So yeah, so check out our Patreon. If you just feel like making one-time donations, you can always do that on our PayPal. That's like low commitment, paypal.me slash international super. And of course, you can find out all that kind of information on our website at www.transnaturalperspectives.com. Anyways, everybody, I think it's time to get on to this conversation and I'm going to stop my jibber jabbering. Well, my jibber jabbering is going to continue in just a moment with my very special guest, Dr. Bob Henderson, all the way from Canada. So everybody sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation on ecological consciousness. See you on the other side. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Where are you? I'm uh, I'm doing wonderful. I'm at home in Uxbridge, Ontario, northeast of Toronto, with a population, the greater Toronto area, with a population of over 8 million people, but I live in a rural setting outside it, and on an Oak Ridge moraine, which is sort of the uh, headwaters of most of the water that flows into Lake Ontario, so it's protected area because of its aquifer. And I'm happy to say we've got great snow and we can get out and cross-country ski every day. And we're seeing a lot of people coming up here to ski, way more than we ever had. But we'll save that for when we get into the meat of the discussion. Yeah, that's, that's actually that's, that's good news, too. I think we've been seeing a lot of that here in, in Norway, too. And I know, I think, I think we already talked about this before the show, but afterwards, I think we're both going skiing today. We are, so. yeah. <laughs> So where are we now? So last time on the episode, you dropped this 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 phrase, this term, and I think that's where we're going with our observations and our hopes for the future today on our list. So could you just give us a little uh, synopsis of what you mean by ecological consciousness? By ecological consciousness is it's it's an ability to understand that you know we've we've moved past looking at the land as a resource. And we're understanding it as a life force. And we're also moving beyond it for thinking of it as a gymnasium or as a cathedral, for that matter. And we're starting to understand it in a much more deeply psychological context where deep down we have a, a this to, to quote eco-psychology, we have a kind of latent religious impulse with the earth so mm. you know, we, we appreciate the earth not just because we like to ski in it <laughs> and recreate and use it as a gym or or understand it in in some nature as god but we we are starting to appreciate a deep-seated impulse to be in nature and to gain a kind of wisdom and understanding and health and good for the soul kind of stuff and I don't think that was there 40, 50 years ago. So I, I think culture moves, and I think we are moving in a, in a way that is engendering eco's, eco-consciousness more and more. I mean, I think education can do a lot more to advance that. But yeah, I think we are slowly moving in that way, and I think it's, a, it's certainly a right direction for the Earth and for us on it. And do you think that when you say like ecological consciousness, is this something that you know, we are becoming conscious of, or is this something within our consciousness? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it's, 
I think it's there. By latent, I mean it's been it's been submissive. It's been it's been underwhelmed within us, but it's it's coming forth. I'll give you, you know, I, I never forget the Canadian novelist Fred Bodsworth, who wrote an essay, and I must have read it when I was eighteen or something. And he said, effectively, having a pet, having indoor plants. And having a fireplace is all, if you stop and really think about it, kind of ridiculous stuff to have. <laughs> it all, it's all just work on one level. And there are many people that would look at those three things, for example, and say, well, that is just work. But on the other hand, the people that have a fireplace have it because they like the work. They have a pet they feel some bonding and connection to, quote, the other. Same with the indoor plants. They may be work, but there's, there's an emotional attachment and, and, and some connection there that usually just goes unexplored. It's just assumed. And I think people that are conscious of that, I'll never forget the time I, I, I actually had a built-in fireplace. Like when I moved into a new house, it had a propane-based a gas fireplace, you know, someone had taken out the, the the wood-based idea of the chimney and put in a gas stove. And I actually called up a company and said, hey, could you guys come in and take out this gas stove feature so I can have a fireplace again? And the guy looked at me and said, but but it's already gas. And I said, yeah, yeah, I know. I, 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 want, I, want, the, I want the wood fireplace back. And he said, no, you, you don't get it. You've already got gas. He'd never taken a gas one out. He'd only ever put them in. <laughs> and and he he just didn't understand the fact that I actually wanted the visceral experience of chopping wood and warming with wood. He said, but it but it won't be as efficient. And I said, it's it's not efficiency I'm going for. So the, the ecological consciousness idea, in a sort of awkward way to speak to it, is is an understanding that there's this inherent kind of value and wisdom in the, in the natural world. Yeah, and, and just it's it as a resource, as a silo for, you know, genetic material, or or that there's something more there, and that's part of the human psyche. And I think we're starting to appreciate that and and feel that in a way that we hadn't in decades past. Okay, so yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just trying to get a grasp on this because I think when you hear ecological consciousness, I, I think it can probably be these two words put together can probably be interpreted in a lot of different ways. And it, the way you're describing it almost sounds like something you can kind of like plug into in a way, like uh, almost like the Matrix or something like this. Like, you, you know, I don't know if you remember that movie, but they would plug yeah, into yeah. the back of their head. Well, you know, I'll go with the, so I, I said there were two sort of pillars to it. One is the mm. psychological attachment and that, that sort of awareness, but, and, and that it's latent within us. In other words, uh, it's there. We, we need to draw mm. it out. You don't, uh, you don't go out and produce this. It used to drive me crazy when an outdoor educator made it sound like they were going out to produce good, you know, good citizenship or, or in, in yeah. a, or, or to character produce. building. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you know, you, you don't so much produce it as uh, you draw it out. It, you don't instill it. You don't instill it. You distill it. And I should have known that this is the work of, of the eco-psychology when it emerged as a, as a field in the uh, 1990s, I guess, late, late 1990s. 
there was a really key book by Theodore Rozak and, and, and many others. But So that's one thing. But the other thing is that notion of the life force, that we're all in it together. You know, what did Alfred North Whitehead once said, the many are one and are increased by one. And this is that notion that, well, Jesse Jackson might put it even simpler. He said, we're all environmentalists. We all breathe. And I think we're coming to a, a deeper understanding of that. As life becomes more fragile, as there's mm-hmm. more extinction in species, I won't go with the big list here, but mm-hmm. life is simply becoming more fragile in our understanding, and our fragility is becoming understood to us in a way it hadn't before. And we are sort of coming to understand that there is, a, for what, what's the best word? I, I often say life force. There's a life mm. force that we're beginning to attend to, again, in a way that certainly we hadn't in, you know, let's say our parents' time. Yeah, I mean, I think through, for a number of reasons, I mean, we are, as humans, for a number of reasons, we're becoming more conscious, like maybe we could even say ecologically conscious of our place in the ecology or in the ecosystem, rather than looking at ourselves as separate, we're seeing that we are connected and therefore kind of like the health of the environment reflects our health. This is touching on, so I actually put together uh, a bunch of ideas surrounding COVID, you know, as a central theme. Mm-hmm. And one of my ideas, not it's not my idea, one of the things that's been obvious here in North America, and because you're in Europe and I'm in North America, we, we cover some wide terrain here. It's unquestionable that there's been a very significant rise in domestic pets, you know, cats and dogs. We even have a a story here in the greater Toronto area where people were, there's there's a much increase of sale of pets and bringing pets up from Mexico and this sort of thing. And pet sales are often on social media. So someone will say, yeah, I'm going to sell uh, my dog to you will meet at the corner of such and such. And then there's been people that have gone and stolen the pets because there's such a market. Wow. Yeah, yeah. This has happened um, in, in Toronto. And I don't assume if it's happened here, it's happened elsewhere that this sort of pet stealing because they're of increased value during COVID. And I, I want interesting. To, yeah. So you're looking at me puzzled and uh, I hear confused. <laughs> <laughs> The real phenomena in in North America is a massive increase of people wanting pets. And I'm mostly thinking dogs and cats. Yeah, house pets. It makes me think of a really interesting um, book that really was powerful for me when I was a kid. And it was called Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Hmm. And it it became well known because it, it was actually the the motivator for the popular movie Blade Runner. Oh, uh, the one that started that a good one. Ford and uh, they just took all the electric sheep out of it. So what happens in the movie is because there are so few in, in, in this sort of dystopian world of, of Blade Runner and do Android's dream of electric sheep, pets are so valued and so in decline as life is in decline that uh, people are craving these pets more than ever before, but they're in high demand and low supply. So uh, 
there's a generation of electric sheep or electric dogs and there's a black market and everybody's saying, well, this dog's real. It's, it's whatever, $5,000, but in actual fact, it's electric, but people just pretend <laughs> it's real. Mm. And, you know, I, I've often thought about that as we enter a world of, of electric, you know, with electric pets are starting. You can get yeah, well, I mean, yeah. I think they actually, there there are like elect robotic pets and AI pets and little that's, robots that you can have cruising around your house right now. And and that's, I mean, that's, that, that's a, that's a big topic because I mean, the, <laughs> as we're going into the future. Yeah. In, uh, in COVID immediately pets became a big deal in North America. That's, that's really, I mean, oh, it's funny that you say that because just a few days, just, I think yesterday I was walking around, I was like, hmm, it actually would be quite nice to have a pet. I've thought about that more recently. It's taken, it's taken a while to arrive to me, but yeah, having, uh, having like fellow friendly <laughs> animal around to like take for walks and, and, and run around in the forest with, but, but why, but why? I wonder, I wonder why we're starting to have that kind of desire. You got any theories on that? Yeah. I think there's a craving for the other as we're uh, kind of more trapped inside and social contact is diminished. I think there's a, a craving for that sort of, to quote David Abram, that more than human world, you know, and I think we're seeing that in pets and, 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 and other things. So let's stick with pets. So I, I really uh, believe that old Fred, Fred Bodsworth quote that, yeah, you know, plants and indoor plants, fireplaces, house pets. Yeah. You know, there's a lot more going on than I just like a dog. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's kind of this, I mean, it's, it's, it's like this term creature comforts, you know, taking it, taking that term to a new level, you know, having, having creatures around you, dogs and cats and a fireplace. And I think in, in Norway, they have a, a word for this, perhaps it's kind of like kushle, if you know this word, kushle. Means like co- being cozy, ugly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Being co- being cozy, especially in your cabin, in your hut, like you describe, having the fireplace going, having a nice woolly sweater on, just being comfortable. Uh, I think you know a lot, a, a lot, and I think you know probably nowadays a lot of people are seeking comfort because I don't know in many in many ways just society is becoming. Kind of, it's quite a harsh thing for humanity to take in. I think there's been a lot of people's lives and a lot of just like societal disruption going on, of course. So people are more attracted to being comfortable and cozy in this time. And at the same time, also probably maybe some people are experiencing that for the first time too, because in our, you know, in this, you know, nine to five uh, work around the clock, seven days a week society, a lot of people have not had so much time in some parts of the world. Sure. So let uh, me let me use that as a springboard to talk about another of the the themes that I've noticed as mm-hmm. I connect COVID to outdoor education, and and that is that there's uh, now I'm speaking from North a North American perspective, but if you're following, uh, oh, if you just read the newspaper and you you glance through magazines and that sort of thing, there's been a significant and this actually started happening before COVID. To be fair. But there's a significant increase in North America in, in popular literature. And I, I'm actually thinking mostly newspaper and popular magazines that introduce the Hoogly idea and also introduce the Freelosleaf idea. So I made a very quick list. And some of this is thanks to our friend uh, 
Niels Farland, who just last week sent me a email saying that German Vogue and French L E L L E is it L E or L have done a free lift sleeve treatments. Right, right here. I'm is in front of me is a New York Times free lift sleeve celebrating time outdoors, no matter the weather. And that's from the New York Times last week. The Guardian in the last year. I could go on. I won't. But I will say, just yesterday, I got something from a fellow who'd been involved in one of your podcasts, uh, Victor. Mm. Victor, yes. Mr. Victor Elderton. Yeah. And Victor sent me a piece that I missed in the Toronto Star about how Native peoples are, in a way, being coming annoyed of all this literature from Scandinavia about how we can be connecting to the outdoors because mm-hmm. it, it should be part of our indigenous sensibility, you know, or from indigenous cultures, we should, we should be picking this up. And they're finding it annoying that we're that authors and, 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 and a, lot, a lot more books have been done and are reaching to Scandinavian traditions when. That's, yeah, are, that's interesting. That's a valid critique. There are yeah. traditions here. So in terms of a collection of thoughts, that's another COVID thought that I have is more mm. people are being asked to give interviews. I'm one of them about free lift sleep in North America. Mm. There's more literature. And now there's enough literature that, well, to, I'm, I'm not trying to, uh, but, but the book that I edited with Niels Vikander, Nature First, at one time Ooh, was, one. was introducing free lift sleep in, in, in certain English language places. But that's not happening anymore. Furlough's Leaf is now something that you're reading in the New York Times, in the Guardian, in the Toronto Star. You know, it's no longer uh, incumbent on uh, Nature First to, <laughs> or Wisdom in the Open Air, a book that came out earlier, to, to denote what Furlough's Leaf is. It's becoming part of the language here now. And that's a COVID thing. That, that has really picked up with, with COVID in the last year. Yeah, that is... I've noticed that too. I mean, you know, I, I go back with free loose leave, you know, some years now too, but at least back to, I think 2012 when I first started, you know, writing and studying about free loose leave. And I was just like, you never heard about it. You did start hearing about the Hige. A lot of people say it comes from, from Denmark, you know, the Hige, the being cozy and stuff like that. You've started hearing about that. Maybe I think I saw an article about that maybe two years ago in the New York times or something one of these big newspapers, but then the free loose leaf, it's just amazing. I, I, I wonder how that kind of seeped in, you know, it's, I mean, I guess it's because now everybody's spending more time outside. Yeah. There's people are saying, again, I'm going to try to stick to COVID stuff and time in nature is of an increased value. And the free loose leaf piece is attractive because it doesn't suggest you have to be skilled Mm -hmm. and, and you have to have a lot of equipment. It's mostly about just time out and enjoying. You know, I teach cross-country skiing, not often, but once or twice a year here Mm -hmm. in the winter. And a lot of people are resistant to it. And as a result, in part, snowshoeing has taken over because it involves arguably much less skill. But where I want to go with this is when I teach skiing, I pick up on kind of a freeless leaf idea, which is I say to people, because they go, oh, I don't have it. I'm not getting it. You know, I'm not. And maybe mm. it's more a North American phenomena. I'm no good at this. I'm not getting it. And I go, hey, are you sliding? Are you gliding? And they go, yes. <laughs> are you having fun? Yeah. Have you, have you fallen down uh, like 10 times already? <laughs> you are sliding and you are having fun. You yeah. are skiing. So yes. just say you're not a skier. You may not be a great skier, 
But the greatness of, of your skiing is in your mind, not in your feet. If you're really having fun at it and your attitude is woohoo and it's joyous for you and you appreciate the beautiful gliding, you're a skier. And that's mm-hmm. a, a, for, a bit of a foreign idea in the skill development crazed North American world, I fear. Yeah, no, it's actually interesting that you bring that experience up because I had a very similar experience here in Norway. Actually, also teaching skiing, I was working with the Oslo Regional Council of Outdoor Life, Friuluslev, and we had these programs going on for people who are part of the integration courses for people who are immigrating to Norway. And they have a whole Friuluslev, a whole outdoor component. So it was my job as like fellow immigrant outdoor instructor to teach people how to ski. And I, I heard the same kind of stuff because we would be up at the high, you know, the highest parts of Oslo. You've been there, Frognusetren up there. And it's it's this, such a unique place uh, to make obs- people watch basically and make observations because we're sitting there with like first day skiers, people from all around the world. We've got me from, I'm from Florida. We've got people from Somalia. We've got people from Serbia. We've got people from everywhere. And at this, and we're all just having a barbecue and like playing around on the skis, kind of like how you described. And then these like Olympic athletes will be cruising by on their cross country skis. And everybody will sit there and be like, whoa, I want to, I want to ski like that. Oh, I just, you know, and and I'm just like, don't worry about it, everybody. Like you're doing great. This is your first day out here. You're falling on the ground. You're slipping, you're sliding. You're going to get it in a couple of days. But I also, I have heard a lot of kind of people feel kind of bad because they say, oh, I can't ski like that. And I'm like, you don't need to ski like that. You know? And I mean, this can be translated into all kinds of outdoor activities. So that is a very beautiful thing that I think is good to be translated from free loosely to the rest of the world. So yeah, very good observation. Yeah. In a COVID way, I got a phone call the other day and, and this is just part of the trend. And somebody said, listen, can I, do you have an extra pair of skis? You know, somebody in my family tried to go buy some cross country skis and they literally could not buy a pair. Sold out. Yeah. Sold out. And so wow. I tried to get some statistics on on one of the main canoe companies because I, I can't get statistics on skiing, but next uh. year I could tell you what those statistics would be because we'll, we'll but but it's no doubt that skis are flying off the shelves and so are canoes. I did talk to one company and sadly I'll probably get the exact statistics after this call because they just didn't get back to me. But another group that on a small scale that uh, sells used canoes sell about 10 to 15 used canoes a year this year they sold over 40 and wow i'm just going to stick with some statistics that i think statistics that i think are interesting vis-a-vis what we're, still, what we're talking about now i'm not much of a stats guy but i did make some phone calls and wow in ontario parks so ontario is one of the provinces of canada And we have a park system that has interior use for canoe travel, where you can go into the interior and go on four to, you know, 30-day canoe trips, you know, beautiful in places like Algonquin Park and Quetico Park. And you can, you know, go out for 30 days and stay within the park. The interior use in the fall, so now COVID is, we're, we're we're out of lockdowns. The, the interior use was up 133% across Ontario wow. Parks. For, that's for people that want to go on a canoe trip. That's an overnight to longer. And in the summer, right after the lockdown, 
the percentage was up 29%. And the trend was for many more first-timers. So I thought that was uh, pretty interesting. So we, we see it here in our local trails. I called the Toronto Regional Conservation Authority, who maintain, let's call them large woodlots around the outside of the city. So for you in Oslo, it would be like the equivalent of Nordmarka. But Uh instead of it being one large area as like a halo around Oslo, this is pockets of woodlots that have trail systems. Mm. And the usage is up 300%. Whoa. During COVID. And wow. So what that means. Amazing. What that means is the parking lots are overrun. People yeah. are having, what do you call them, when you have a, a party out your, oh, geez, out of the back of your car. Tailgating. 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 Yeah. 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 Boy, I'm a wild guy, eh? Tailgating. <laughs> so tailgating. Good old North party. American word. The parking lots are packed and spilling out onto the road. And so the conservation authority and the municipalities, and not just where I live, this is a phenomena are mm. struggling to increase the park the parking lot sizes more people are calling for benches and we have a stewardship group here called the Green Durham Association and in acknowledging all this wealth of people moving into the trails we've produced a set of maps that make it easier for people not to get lost and to, you know to follow the routes we've put in benches the parking lot is being increased by 70 cars Hopefully, we'll get around to notions that are much more common in Europe, and that is pu- putting in picnic tables and, and scattering destinations for kids to you know, have a picnic lunch 5, 10K into the trail by putting in picnic tables so that they're kind of like these semi-artificial destinations for the hikes. And this is all stuff that has been almost ignored, but certainly avoided in North mm. American systems of parks and trails. Because of a fear of vandalism. Interesting. I think you have much less of a problem with. You you just go ahead and do it in, in Norway, where I'm, a, like you, more familiar. Putting picnic tables 5Ks into the trail is a good idea because, you know, young families need a destination to have their picnic lunch. You just do it. But here in North America, <laughs> there's a tendency to not do it because of, of the fear of vandalism or, or litigation or something, you know, of some damage. So uh, that's another mm-hmm. trend I've seen is this incredible, in- just to sum that up, that point up, uh, a very significant increase use in trail systems and retail sales of soft, silent outdoor gear, that being the hmm. canoe and the cross-country ski. Yeah, downhill skis aren't selling. They're, you can't go <laughs> right now. In, in, Ontario, yeah. in, in, in Ontario, where I live right now, the downhill resorts are closed. I, I'm now just being eco-centric to my own environment because they're open in other parts of Canada. But, but this, yeah, they're open here too. Yeah, the sale of gear is the sale of, of gear, and the trail use is significantly up. And the local people are not. You might think, oh, this is going to cause um, a huge problem. No, people are accepting that that this is good. People people need the solace of the outdoors. It's you know the the tonic of the wilds. You know, like this. Mm-hmm. Um, we need this, and and I've I've heard very few people that live in, in in those trail systems complaining about the increased use. They're more likely to complain about the fact that we got to get these parking lots bigger quickly. 
Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Especially, yeah. Especially once you put in the, the, the car element, because I mean, places like Canada, United States where I'm from, you know, cars are such a, you know, it's the way to get around. So I didn't even think about parking. I mean, even here the other day I went skiing and there was an immense traffic jam. Like I'd never seen before. Trying, people trying to get out to the forest because actually I think there's, I don't quote me on this, but I've just kind of noticed that there's been increased bike usage here for sure. Increased walking in general. And I think there's increased car usage too, because people don't want to take the public transportation here in the city. So I should have included uh, bikes when I was talking about sales of cross country skis and canoes. I'm just more familiar with them. But absolutely, bikes were flying off the shelves, and it was a big deal here throughout North America, as far as I can tell. Certainly, every place I've, I've asked, be it you know Alberta and BC, across Canada. So I think that's a significant COVID, COVID trend, let's call it. COVID trends, what we've seen in the past, that's what we've seen in the, the past year or so now that this has been going on, COVID trends. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I think that, you know, when I'm just looking a bit at some of the, the, the trends I've seen to bounce them, I want to bounce them off you a little bit. And it, it's a nice segue that, you know, now that people are spending, it seems like maybe people that I, I, I don't know, and it'd be really interesting to find out in like a survey, but, you know, uh, you know, are more people making it to the outdoors that maybe weren't like outdoorsy people before, but now they're looking for something to do. You know, they can't, they don't have much other choice. So now they're going out and buying cross country skis and canoes and just getting outside more, going tailgating, all kinds of stuff like that. Hopefully, socially distanced tailgating. But, <laughs> uh, you know, the families are going up. There's a lot of uh, new families. Mm. Let's, let's get everybody a bicycle. And so that, that trend that I mentioned about park use, there was also a trend in the fall where the, where the interior use was at 133% increase. Another part of that trend was an awful lot more newcomers to the park. So I guess when you sign in and buy your permit, you have to say it's your first time here. Mm. And that trend. So yeah, I think it is. A, I think it's a big deal, and I, I think it's. I'm inspired by it. Yeah, it's actually very interesting. I was just talking to some people from the UK yesterday. It was at some online meeting with the uh, in IOL in the UK about freelance workers and and accessing the outdoors. And just to bounce it off, do a do a, a triad bounce. We got Canada, the UK, and Norway. I noticed like a significant difference between what they were saying in the UK as opposed to what we have going on here in Norway because in the UK a lot of outdoor freelancers and people that are that have like outdoor outdoor activity providers they're still very much planning to you know stay in business they're even though they're locked they have a big lockdown now and they're really trying to like figure out creative ways to stay in business and then they were coming over to me as kind of the outsider they're asking so what do you have any tips for for from Norway about how people are staying in business over there and I thought and I and I said you know what actually we don't have a ton of outdoor activity providers here like you might have in the UK or I know we have in the US because people are just going kind of naturally going outside all the time anyways because and people have a lot of gear and almost everybody's their own kind of tour guide of at least their neighborhood or something like that so I mean, it, it made me realize very much how we're actually very in the outdoor world here. We're also very dependent on tourism and tourism has completely 
disappeared like 100%, which, uh, you know, if anybody's listening to the show on a regular basis, you probably know I've worked in tourism quite a bit here as a bicycle tour guide and a hiking guide and, and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, it, it is interesting. How is it, how is it in Canada? I know you might not have statistics prepared for this, but in general, like how is it in Canada? Do you have like a lot of internal outdoor activity providers yeah, that are you're keeping me you're keeping me on that statistic of a hundred and thirty three percent increase of Ontario parks. That increase also is significant because the American and Americans come up here to canoe trip all the time. And mm. an international group has of course denied access. So when yeah. I was saying that there's an increase in Ontario park use of 133%, that is, is really incredible because it means it's all Canadians. Because normally there'd be a very significant number yeah. of that increase would be, in fact, you should expect a dropping off, if you will, if there's no Americans and no Europeans coming over to canoe trip. So the 133% increase is entirely Canadian. Mm. Um, now that wow. wanting to share that made me yeah I, I I'm not I'm not going to feel comfortable in talking about the tourism sector and and Canada in regards to providers I think you're on to something a little special about Scandinavia and that yeah. is that there is an independent streak and and outdoor rec is part of the culture and parents there's a st- stronger family context for learning your mm-hmm. skills and outdoor what we have in canada particularly in eastern canada and it, it may be canada's biggest contribution in the outdoor the global outdoor education world is uh, children's summer camps and uh, and often specialty camps that work with children with uh, learning needs or children living with cancer and of course these programs are sadly held back this last summer and are really hoping that they can continue. But so that's, that's where my mind goes when you ask about providers for outdoor skills. One of the things that I think we're talking about without really mentioning at all is I think some of this increased access and this discussion around pets and and more literature around uh, Friedersleaf and Hoogli uh, in part could be a, a fear an acknowledgement and a fear of the increased screen time that we're all living in. Mm-hmm. And so some of all this is a reaction of families and, and, and outdoor providers to address the inescapable increased use of screen time that comes with, with this COVID time. And I'm not just thinking of schooling. I'm thinking of professional people aren't going to offices and they're relying on the screen. I mean, this is obvious stuff, but I think, yeah. uh, where it where it goes, it it, it it can be witnessed in this increased use of of trail. I mean, up three hundred percent locally here from from wow. uh, from from my area. You know, it, it's just really significant. So I think that's just something to acknowledge. Yeah, and also looking into yeah, I mean, looking into let's say the new year, it would be interesting to see if we get some studies out there. If anybody's listening. And you're you're interested in looking for study topics. I'd like to hear some some research on, you know, is screen time increasing, and is uh, or are people diverting themselves into the outdoors? This is something I would wonder. You know, are people getting sick of the screen and going outside more because they're sick of it, if if they have the option? Yeah, just like there are a wealth of Trump books that have been released in the last year, 
pandemic and during pandemic, I think, well, I think authors are maybe waiting for a a post-pandemic time, but I think we will see a plethora of COVID-related books in, in all sorts of themes. One of them will certainly be outdoors and, and, and another will certainly be how we've been influenced by screen time and workplace transitions and, and that sort of thing. But yeah. another trend in my mind is in the thinking of travel. Based on the National Geographic number last year, before COVID, the number per year was 1.4 billion people travel each year. Yeah, big number. International. And I know there's another discussion around post-COVID, will we enter a climate change consciousness where we travel less? Mm. And my only an opinion is that we will a little bit, but the bigger change might be that we will rethink traveling. Like if, mm. if 1.4 billion people are traveling each year pre-COVID, traveling is going to come back. It may be a bit less, but I think we'll be rethinking travel a little bit. And I hope we do. I think people will stay longer. Mm-hmm. Trips might be looked at as being a little bit less, I don't know, casual. You know, oh, that's a flippant trip to go away and fly that far for four days. And just to catch some sun in the south, there'll be maybe an inclination to one, stay longer, and two, maybe engage more in cultural immersion stuff. I'm starting to feel like I'm seeing a trend away from, oh, should I use an example? Going away for 10 days and coming from North America and climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, staying in a big hotel getting to the top of Kilimanjaro, getting back down and going home. I think that that will be in decline and it may be replaced with a bit more attention to where you are, a little bit more place consciousness. I mean, I'm wondering if that's just something I want to see, but as I read literature and talk to people, I'm seeing a tendency to think that way a bit. Yeah, well, I mean, we 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 had no idea we'd be here last year, so it's kind of hard to predict what will happen in the future. But it definitely is. I would say, at least as educators or grown-ups or, or really anybody in a in a place of power or influence, we should be promoting these ideas. You know, that's for sure. You know, at least by li- living by example. So, you know, as as we are here trying to interrogate our practices here in the smack dab right here at the probably the beginning of the anthropocene <laughs> we should re, re rethink about you know what kind of ideas we are promoting in our you know in our classrooms or on our tours or wherever we may be on our podcasts like right here <laughs> yeah you know wherever wherever so, we may be and that's what we're that's what we're doing here right yeah, now yeah yeah and i've got i've got one more idea that i w- would say i is trending here in america us. and i i don't think this will relate as well in Norway because I think it's a stronger phenomena. And that is, I think a lot of parents, when we went into COVID lockdown, and, and, and I'm, I'm in my 60s, so my kids are in their 30s, and I'm talking from spending time with other, talking to other people and other families and reading. I think a lot of parents thought that they could 
embrace the lockdown and everybody could become Mary Poppins, you know, and they could become great, wonderful teachers. Uh, that's from a friend of mine who said, she, she said, I, I woke up COVID, no problem. I'm, I'm going to go into the lockdown and become the next Mary Poppins. And she discovered after two days that, that she was pulling her hair out. So I think that people, here's what I've seen. I've seen an increase of a demand for alternative schools. Mm. I'm not necessarily thinking forest schools as in, <coughs> as in a formal tradition of the forest school idea, but just an acknowledgement that nature is a teacher, more, let's say, farm schools, more attention to indigenous perspective in schooling, more attention to place, sorry, to play-based attentions, which comes from different traditions. You know, I, I expect we'll see more, more Waldorf schools, more Montessori schools, more non-traditional schooling settings, more parents trying to get their kids out of the conventional school system. Right or wrong, I think we're seeing that. I can think within a hundred mile radius of me now, three or four schools that have started up. And, wow. you know, a farm school, uh, a, a private charter school around outdoors. So I think we're seeing more schools with a nature-based orientation starting up. And I think that will be a post-COVID reality. Wow. Yeah. And and, and, do, and what do you think that's due to? Any idea? Is, that, is it simply just because people, I'm just wondering, is it because people want to have school outside more? Or what I'm, what I'm kind of getting is it almost seems to me like, People in general, we're kind of seeing that the the fabric of society is maybe a bit more fragile or maybe not as strong as, or required as we thought. And we're quickly noticing that, for example, you can do school from home on your, com on your computer. You can do school remotely. You can go to university remotely. You can work remotely. Pretty much anybody can do that, you know, unless you are working some kind of physical labor, but any kind of office job can be done remotely. So in general, it just seems like there's been kind of this wave over society of where our previous structure, like our structures that were previously uh, held in high regard, like the institution of school, the institution of like the office building, all this kind of stuff has just been completely washed away. I mean, people are spending, you don't know how much, 60 70, $80,000 a year to go to Harvard online, you know, <laughs> these kinds of things. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's a big topic and I think people have realized that homeschooling as if, as, as in the parent homeschooling and the kid is hard. It doesn't suit everybody. I think people are not surprised at that. And also I think there's the, you know, the government dictates class sizes and people might feel a little under the thumb, so to speak, of the mm -hmm. government regulations. And, well, we're going back now. We're not going back. But, but people here in Ontario have been uncomfortable with class sizes and some of the government mandates and, let's say, stipulations around how school's going to look and how school's going to come back during a COVID time. And they're going, well, you know, maybe we can find some alternatives. And maybe rather than be stuck inside on the screen or stuck in a classroom with 30 kids in the room, maybe we could find an outdoor school where at least a good chunk of time is spent outdoors and, and find a school with smaller class times. So I think there's a demand for uh, non-traditional schooling right now. That's my, and I think that's a good one from my point of view to end on because it, it encaptures some of much of the other things we've talked about, an attention to an increase in the free of sleep in the literature, 
a increased trail use, increased gear, outdoor gear use in the way of bikes, skis, and paddling, <laughs> rethinking travel. I mean, I, I think there's a rethinking of schooling a little bit. Now I'm trying to be really optimistic here because these are things, mm-hmm. are trends that I would have wanted to have seen in my life pre-COVID, but I think we yeah. are starting to see them post-COVID. And I think another thing that's going to happen post-COVID is there will be, okay, now that COVID's over, we have to pay attention to climate change. We, mm-hmm. And I, I do think that that the pandemic will inspire a greater ability to understand the language which people seem to be just not able to comprehend around climate change. Climate change is still happening, you know, and if you look back to 2019 before COVID and also before, let's say before the really big uprising, especially in the United States, but to a certain extent around the rest of the world, when it comes to uh, like the George Floyd protest and, and like, you know, just a big social justice uprising, especially in the United States that kind of like rattled the rest of the world. If you look back to 2019, a real big focus in media and in communication. And I can say when I was teaching back then in social studies, also in class was there was a big focus on like Greta Thunberg. You remember yep. Greta Thunberg? Absolutely. And, it was like kind of the year of Greta Thunberg and we all thought in the, in Fridays for the future and, and kids were, you know, and adults were gathering in the millions around the world. It was pretty incredible, actually, what was happening then. And there was this vi- there was this vibe like, oh, wow, like maybe finally, you know, I mean, I even remember Greta Thunberg saying oh, we want the adults to strike, too, and come out to the streets. And I went out there and I took my class out there and everything like that. And. So that was great. We kind of really brought that into the forefront in the media and and through like mass communication and from a communication standpoint because I'm a big I'm a big, you know, promoter of environmental communication. That's what we're doing here right now. It was great. Then things shifted quite early on in 2020 where it shifted towards quote very important stuff, COVID, and then once we got into COVID a lot of political upheaval and then a lot of social justice uprisings and been present, all very valid stuff, like all, all needs to be in the media too. So what I'm hoping to see, but, but it's almost like we didn't hear anything about the environment much in 2020, especially in the mass media. So, and, and of course I look at the mass media as a way of a general tool to kind of like educate the masses, you know, through communication. So what I'm hoping is we see some kind of, combination of health, you know, physical health, uh, like medicine, social justice, and eco-justice. You know, I'm hoping we start to see that kind of combination because as we were talking about before, you know, when it comes to ecology, it's really just based on the interrelationships between, you know, the organisms and the environment. And we are kind of growing this ecological consciousness and hopefully growing more where people are starting to see themselves in mass interconnected, integrated into the environment and how we work back and forth together well, symbiotically. That, certainly yeah. that would be the optimistic stance. I see no reason why not to take it. It does mean on, on the largest scale, the overthrow of, of certain government persuasions and ideologies like in, well, America with uh, some new changes. It's a big problem there yeah. that has mm-hmm, been mm-hmm. in Brazil and Poland and but you know, before we can really move on these things, we have to create government structures that, that listen. And maybe that's 
maybe we've we were trending negatively over the last five or six years globally government wise maybe we can bring her back i i i'm thinking of a quote by arnie ness i think i'm paraphrasing but he said there's there's basically he said there's no point to being a pessimistic philosopher mm. it's a little bit like the 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 way again i'm thinking of his buddy uh, nils farland who i mentioned earlier because he sent me all these uh lists of magazines that have mentioned uh, Friedhofsleaf, but he's also very fond of closing his emails or any kind of interaction by saying, uh, instead of saying goodbye or farewell or, you know, see you next time, he goes, it's too late to be pessimistic. <laughs> so thank you, Niels Farland, for that. It, it, and, and, he, and he's right. And, and so is uh, the idea that there's just so little point in 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 being wildly pessimistic and uh, mm-hmm. be a person of ideas what yeah no so yeah i mean that's what i'm looking forward to because i mean you we see now you know people of all ages and you know especially i mean all ages really yeah just people are getting more activated i mean we are seeing like i said in 2019 with people on the streets for fridays for the future not and then i think it still continued in 2020 but it was kind of tough with the covid and then in 2020 we see you know, the world's largest social justice uprisings. I, I, what I want to see now is that that fusing of social justice and environmental justice. I know that there's been plenty of research on it already, and there's, and there's plenty of groups that are recognizing this fusion, that, you know, the environment and the society are, are you know, infinitely interconnected. But I think I, I would like to see this on a mass scale, because then I think, once people say, okay, yeah, we want justice for these people, we want justice for these groups, we want justice for these animals, we want justice for the environment. Oh, the environment is actually all-encompassing all of this. So here we go. Now we found our answer. And I mean, of course, and, and, and so how does this connect? Maybe people are probably listening right now because we're getting getting all, all hypothetical and hopeful here. You know, how can this apply to you, maybe if you're listening, if you're an educator, or how can this apply to you? No matter who you are, whatever per- position of influence you may hold, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a writer, you know, how can you direct your message that you're trying to, you know, di- communicate with other people around you through your business, through your actions, so uh, through your words? You, how can you how can you direct that in a way that is all encompassing for the environmental justice, which includes the justice of, of people too. So that, that's kind of what I'm I'm hoping for because I see a lot of energy, a lot of mobilization of people. And that also means, like, like you pointed out, we have to have structures, you know, governmental structures that will listen to us. But at the same time, we also have to, you know, work on creating the, you know, from, from the bottom up, we need to, you know, push to create those governmental structures. And from the top up, we need to get, I guess, more people in power that are going to run those structures. So I think, you know, in on a really practical, in your classes, I mean, I know I would do this in my classes, my social studies classes when I was teaching, is, you know, somehow in environmental education or in environmental activities, you know, we know that reflection is a really important thing to have, uh, a, a reflective moment. Uh, a time during the activity or a time during the journey or every day where you're writing your journals and stuff like that. And we really need to inject, I think, more ideas like challenging ideas of the past that maybe seem kind of just standard structures and pillars of society. Ideas like 
does capitalism like really work for the environment or is this kind of capitalism that we're running right now work for the environment? If it doesn't work for the environment and doesn't really work for people, then, you know, we need to think about more stuff like this. And, and, and if it's not, then if it's not working out then we need to come up with other solutions. And I think this is stuff that you can even just work with kids on, or you can work with adults on who are in a, in a group, you know, this is, this is, prompts we should be giving people you know your, your first podcast i think it was your first podcast was a a brilliant illustration of it i mean i've told many an educator to listen to your podcast with sean bleckenschlop and oh estella yeah estella custa the yeah. ecologizing education ecologizing education so you know and and they give us a pretty good idea of what that can look like and what would ecologizing politics look like what would a yeah exactly yeah what would a that's what we're talking about a little bit ecologizing politics ecologizing social spheres and I think you and I are both in the the game of thinking about that and working towards those kinds of ambitious ambitious thoughts and I think that COVID is a obviously a, a cultural landmark with consequences and mm. I really want to be part of a movement that the, sees those consequences take us towards in ecologizing travel, as we've talked about ecologizing education, ecologizing recreation. And that's really been the heart of this discussion today. Yeah. And uh, I think with that, you know, how are we going to get there? Because one thing that I noticed during COVID a lot, I mean, we're still in COVID and uh, I, I don't, but and we don't know when it's going to end, but we're still in climate change and that's never going to end either. So we shouldn't really expect these kinds of existential things really to end, especially if we're not doing anything to end them. So, you know, but one thing I noticed during COVID is all the misinformation about it. And it really, you know, oh, should we wear a mask? Should we not wear a mask? Oh, should we send the kids to school? Should we keep them home? Should we stay home? All this stuff. And, and even the politicians and even the people that have all the power they're not delivering good communication. And I mean, really, when we're talking about COVID, when we're talking about a disease, we are talking about the environment. This is a naturally occurring virus. It, it opens up a Pandora's box of issues about, you know, where did it come from? And did it was it contracted from, from the animals? And what were these people doing with the animals and all this kind of stuff? So, you know, I see a parallel between, you know, health communication environment, and environmental communication. We also receive a lot of misinformation about, you know, the environment, about the climate, about how climate change is occurring, even though we do have, you know, very conclusive evidence from, you know, 98.9% of all the researchers that ever researched this stuff. So uh, I think, again, you know, like we need media literacy a part of that really needs to be environmental literacy so this is another thing that i think uh, i would like to see teachers and professionals of all types promoting to whoever they are educating or whoever they're influencing is uh, yeah there's got to be a will i mean an example out of iceland i read recently that five percent of the glaciers in iceland are in fact uh, growing mm. and people can say oh glaciers in iceland are growing <laughs> 95% of the glaciers in Iceland are receding significantly. I think the statistics are all the glaciers in the Himalayas are receding, which is the water source for how many billions of people. So, you know, there, there is needs to be education in the media, and there, but it's a will because people 
almost have an ability to deny, but also not even understand the language. So I think that that can see some change because COVID has created upheaval. And I think we may be more, I don't think we'll go into denial about upheaval. I think we'll be more cognizant of it. And I'm, I'm optimistically thinking that much of what you just talked about, there'll be a greater recipe will be more receptive to it. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, because one thing that I think we've also gathered out of COVID, I mean, I've thought about this before COVID, but I mean, I think the thing with COVID is made so many things painfully obvious and it's kind of like a dress rehearsal maybe for the big kahuna, you know, the next economic collapse, the, the, the climate change, you know, exponentially growing all this kind of stuff. And and, and this is actually something that I mentioned uh, that we talked about on this eco- ecologizing education podcast that you mentioned too. And uh, we need uh, just as much for kids. I think we need some more kind of like interventionist education going on for adults on the environment, on media literacy, these types of things, on intercultural communication. Because, I mean, every adult has the potential to be an educator just through their influence. So I... I you know, I'm I'm curious to hear out there if anybody's listening, you know, what kind of work are you doing with adults? You know, because although Greta Thunberg is leading a revolution of children, I mean, if she's right and we only have 10 years or left, you know, to go until we can't turn this boat around. I mean, it's really the people that are in power right now that need to make the difference. So, I mean, uh, we can sit here and talk on this podcast and hopefully that goes out to some teachers and hopefully those teachers uh, influence some kids. But I'm, I'm curious to know what are people doing with adults? You know, how, is there any kind of interventionist education going on that is going to actually make an impact within the next five to 10 years? You know, this is, this is something I think we need more of in the future. <laughs> I'm hoping to see more of next year because we have learned, if not before, definitely during COVID times that adults are desperately in need of some re-education or maybe more information too. It's not like, it's not like it's not in our face. Climate's in our face. And so too is literature and and information about climate change. Mm -hmm. It's, it's there. It's there for us to see. So Mm -hmm. uh, culturally or in a humanitarian human context, we seem to be lacking will and maybe it's because it feels still feels like it's a future generation but it isn't it's one it's it's one generational span which is to say it's my grandchildren which i don't have any mm-hmm. but it's it's you know if you go back to my grandparents and then me and now my grandchildren it, in that span of about 200 years uh, all this has happened so my yes. father was born in my father, my my children's grandfather. He was born in uh, nineteen twelve, and my grandchildren, mm-hmm. my and and, his, and my grandchildren will live into the time of major climate disruption, human caused climate disruption. So it is mm-hmm. really in this generation, this this span of of about two hundred years, and Pretty amazing. The will has to come, but also the wherewithal. Rather than being a completely bamboozled by it, that's not the best word, is it? Uh, completely feeling like you're helpless. You know, maybe mm-hmm. education can, has to take some responsibility. There's a coin, a phrase coined by a fellow named Selig, Seligman who talked about 
Learn school ultimately has a hidden curriculum. It teaches learned helplessness. Pretty nifty mm. thought. But so maybe there's a well, not just a will problem, but a wherewithal problem. And that wherewithal is the, the you know, the putting mechanisms in place that can that can act on on ourselves. And really what I'm asking people to do is also renegotiate their own thoughts and kind of participate in this exercise of of, 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 of thinking about, you know, what have you observed and kind of what would, do you think we need to see for the future? And then how can you put that into action? You know, I mean, my last thought on this would be Whitehead had a phrase in the 1920s and he talked about inert ideas. So rather than saying old ideas, I really mm. phrase inert ideas. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we should be exploring what are our inert ideas. Uh, yes. One that's really important to me is the notion of saying the word wilderness. It, 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 in a decolonizing environment, wilderness implies that that it's it's there. It, no one's no one's lived there, and we know that not to be true. So we need to think about the inert language that we have. We have a lot of inert ideas. Every culture does. What are they? Be be aware of them, and then part of the civilized virtues of cultures is is an acknowledgement that there's a challenge to change and what is the adventure of change not, mm. not what is the the burden of change what is the adventure of it and you know right now there's an adventure in terms of uh, new energy systems that are friendlier to the earth i mean that's you know there's a lot of rather than burdens there's a lot of adventures in 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 ideas and in change and COVID has helped to bring some of that to the forefront in a in a powerful way. All right, Bob. Well, hey, you know what? I think it's time. I see, I see the sun shining in your window back there. And it's dark over here in Norway right now. But good thing that there's a lot of lit areas to go skiing. So I think it's time that we wrap this up. And I don't know, we should talk again, talk again soon. Thanks for coming on the show today. Well, it was a pleasure. And it's also extra nice to be able to say not only was it was a not only was it a pleasure, it was our second time chatting like this. So it was uh, sort of extra enjoyable. And yeah, that's the idea. I mean, I'd like to have, you know, you and many of our guests uh, on the show right. and as we get more comfortable here on the podcast. So yeah, have a, have a good ski today. And I'm sure we'll have uh, be back again soon to talk about more of your interesting ratings and thoughts. Let's call it a happy new year conversation. Indeed. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot, Bob. Okay. Thank you. Bye now. here for the after show and once again really huge thanks to bob henderson for joining me again on the show it was a really nice conversation bob so thanks for joining and bob also reminded me that if you would like to get in contact with him he's now on facebook and on instagram so you can find him there bob henderson and also i just wanted to add a little side note i noticed while during the discussion that we were throwing around some Norwegian words that somehow all meshed together into the word kugle, which actually is a combination of the word kugle and higle, 
which are very common words here in Norway. And, you know, Bob comes here to Norway a lot, so we can throw around these words. But kugli is, I don't think, actually a real word. If kugli is a real word, please write to us or contact the show on Twitter or Facebook because I would I would love to know where that is a word. But actually, kushli is a word that we associate a lot of the time with friluslev. It means when something's cozy, it's kushli. Like when you're in the cabin, like Bob was describing, with your fire, you know, in the corner, maybe you're sitting there under a nice blanket reading a book you're feeling very comfy very kushli and you hear this word a lot of the time in norway and higle is also another norwegian word so in, in many scandinavian languages you hear this word hige and it just means like very nice it could also mean kind of cozy but very nice and many times people say oh it's very higle to meet you it's very nice to meet you so i just noticed we were mixing that up and if any scandinavian nordic speakers out there hear that you're probably you know face palming right now but yeah so kushli higgly we had a very kushli and higgly time on the show today i think that being said what do you think about our observations i'd really like to know i think bob would like to hear too so please reach out to us what do you think about do you agree do you disagree have you noticed these things too have you noticed other things that we didn't talk about we'd love to know and as i said check out the show notes because there's a lot of great topics in there. And if you'd like to dig deeper onto one of those or many of those topics with me on a future episode, just let me know. And if you have any other ideas, I'm totally open to those too. I just want to get all of those perspectives across cultures from all around the world, all different kinds of natural environments. Just hit me up. I'm open, everybody. You know, also, I just want to reflect a bit deeper into the episode before we close here today, especially going way back kind of to the beginning when Bob was talking about this kind of latent religious impulse that we are said to have towards the more than human world, to the natural world, to the, to the natural environment that surrounds us. And it, and it kind of brought me back to another episode, uh, episode way back when I talked to Dr. James Neal out of Canberra, Australia, where we were talking about the intra-indigenous consciousness. And this term comes from the work of Graham Ellis Smith, who did a lot of work with Aboriginal people, I guess, in, the, in Australia. You know, it's this idea that you know, we have this consciousness inside of us, but it's not just a, like a hippy-dippy, you know, tutti-frutti kind of idea, but it's actually connected to our biology and, our, and the way that our bodies are designed and kind of maybe the, we could say maybe the original purpose of the human body, the human machine. It's designed, you know, to be moving around, picking up berries, throwing stones, jumping up and down, diving in the water, all kinds of stuff like this. We're, you know, you know what I'm talking about. We're supposed to be out and about engaging in being in the natural environment, doing some kind of movement, foraging with our bodies. This is, you know, I think arguably what we're designed to be doing. So it's no wonder that we feel this impulse, as, as Bob mentioned, this kind of latent, almost religious impulse. It's what we are, you know, designed for, for the most part. And, and in this time of overdosing on screens and sitting, I think our bodies and our minds are in need of nature time more than anything really to function so get outside you know it's like in this time many of us have been forced to change our ways and i know i have i've had to totally reorganize my life uh, with the you know crash of many industries that kind of supported my livelihood and you know i think many of us can relate to that we have to pick up the pieces now we've been picking up the pieces and trying to somehow reassemble it and some pieces are fitting back in and some don't fit anymore and i think you know in a way it's an opportunity probably 
you know, at this point in history, the largest number of people ever kind of have to reconsider this moment that we're having time to reflect and renegotiate and reassemble our lives. And since we are here in this time, it's a fantastic moment. If we have the chance to, you know, look back at our past, what we've been doing and whether our actions are serving us and serving the environment now, and are they, are they going to serve it in the future? And, you know, you got to ask yourself tough questions like, have I been contributing to the destruction of the very sociocultural and ecological environmental, you know, fabric that holds everything together that we so much depend on. We have to ask ourselves these questions and, and ask other people these questions and inject these questions into our, you know, our courses, our classes, our workplaces, wherever we may be, our discussions. So anyways, I think I'm going to call it a day. And those are my transnatural perspectives. Those are our transnatural perspectives from the show today. Thanks so much, everybody, for tuning in. And, you know, please consider to check out all of the great content and links on our new website, www.transnaturalperspective.com. You can go there and learn all about how to support the show on Patreon, how you can get in touch, how you can follow us on all the wonderful avenues of social media. And on that note, thank you so much for listening, everybody. And until next time, See you outside. Peace. Greetings, everyone. This is your host, Josh, here. Happy to say that the Trans Natural Perspectives podcast is brought to us by listeners like you. If you find value in this show and you want to help it grow, please consider sharing this podcast, writing a review, and supporting the show. Head on over to transnaturalperspectives.com to learn more about how you can contribute as a monthly subscriber, as a one-time donor, as well as check out our blog. I invite you to contact me with any ideas you have for the show. If you'd like to be a guest, if you need a writer, or any other tips on further funding opportunities. I'd really love to hear from you. It keeps this show going. It keeps me going. And with that being said, thanks for listening.